Growing up, I wanted to be a teacher or a scientist or an engineer or maybe an architect. Basically, anything that had to do with science or math, but definitely not English. There's a saying in my family: "Hamlins don't do English," and right now I understand that irony. I landed、um, doing the teacher thing with the science thing at a university not far from where I grew up. And about halfway through my undergraduate, I started working with a grad student in the biology department. His office was in the basement of one of the oldest, crappiest buildings on campus. His car was missing so much paint; I didn't know what color it actually was. He was overwhelmed. He was underpaid,、uh, and I realized that I wanted that life. Oh my God, did I want that life? It looked amazing, no matter how much was thrown at him, no matter. Uh, how he was treated, no matter how he felt, he honestly loved it. I looked at him and thought he had no reason to be happy, but he absolutely loved his life. So the heck with his teacher thing. I was going to be a scientist. I applied to grad schools all over the country, got accepted to one, and that's where I went. Everyone has a science story, even or maybe especially scientists. Science affects each and every one of us. Let's talk about it. From the American Geophysical Union, I'm Shane Hamlin, and this is Sci Intel. All right. Well, I ended up going through grad school. Getting a PhD and then shifting from academia to more policy and communication, which is what I do now. But that's a story for another day. Today, though, we have a story for you recorded at our 2018 annual meeting about another scientist who took an admittedly more dramatic、uh, shift in her career. Our interviewer was Elise Furnum. My name is Bärbel Hönisch. Thank you for having me. I'm an associate professor of Earth and Environmental Sciences at Columbia University. And how did you get to where you are? That's a long story. So I originally wanted to restore paintings, and then that did not work out. And then I flipped through an encyclopedia one day, and I found a whole list of the Max Planck Institutes in Germany. And there was one for marine microbiology, and I kind of skipped the micro, and I thought marine biology sounds great, and there'll be dolphins and whales in my future. And、um, so I wanted to study marine biology, and I started out with biology, and then I went to the university in Bremen. And in Bremen, they also had a very strong geology department. And somehow, my boyfriend at the time told me, "Oh, you know, that geology, ge geology, that sounds great. Why don't you take a course in that?" And so I, I studied both. I studied marine biology, although mostly biological oceanography, which looks more at the smaller organisms. And so I found out very, very quickly that hardly anybody works on dolphins and whales, and almost everybody works on plankton. And、um, so I fell in love with plankton, but I also really, really enjoyed sediment cores and learning about the past from all the information that you can take from sediment cores. My mentor at the time was also a biologist and went into geochemistry, and I really liked their field of study where they were reconstructing carbonate chemistry in the ocean. And they were trying to see what that was doing in terms of climate change, how that was affecting the marine life, and 
Through him, I met a young man who had gotten his PhD at Columbia University. And his name is Abhijit Sanyal. He was a wonderful, wonderful person. He is a wonderful person, but he's not in science anymore, unfortunately. But he taught me how to measure boron isotopes. And so he and I went to the university, in, actually to the Geoma in Kiel, and we had very long days in the lab. They were essentially starting at 8 in the morning, ending at midnight, and then doing the same thing again the next day. And so he gave me all kinds of games. And when I got my first, my first um, analysis, or my first signal of an analysis, um, he called me the queen of boron, and I was hooked. There's so many things I'd like to ask about. Um, <laughs> Uh, I shall bow to, bow to the Queen of Boron. Why don't you tell me a little bit about boron? So boron is an interesting element that is actually very difficult to analyze because there are only two isotopes of boron, and that, that makes it rather complicated. But it's very an interesting element because in seawater, it um, actually, the, the relative abundance of the two elements of boron, or the, or the two species of boron, they change with seawater pH. And it turns out that only one of them gets incorporated into marine carbonates. And so if we can reconstruct what the uh, boron isotopic composition of marine carbonates is, then we can reconstruct the acidity of seawater. And if we know what the acidity in particular of the surface ocean was, then we can reconstruct atmospheric PCO2. So we can go back in time and we can actually go beyond the ice cores and find out how high the carbon dioxide levels were and um, how, what the climate was at that time. And so we can look for connections between greenhouse gases and climate change. Those are enormous findings. And um, yet there are some who do not believe in climate change still. So I'm wondering how else you can tell that story or how else you can help people understand the urgency of the, the problem that we're facing? That's a, that's, a, that's, a very good, that's a very good question. So one, so you asked me early on, what was the, what was the oldest, what are the oldest samples that I've analyzed? And the oldest samples I've analyzed are about 56 million years old. They're, they're going back to a time in Earth history that is called the Paleocene, Eocene Thermal Maximum. It is a time when temperatures on the planet warmed somewhere between five and nine degrees Celsius worldwide, about five degrees in the tropics and, and nine degrees in the, in the high latitudes. If we keep burning fossil fuels as we're doing it right now, and we might see something like 900 or maybe even 1,000 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But what is very different at that time is that it took about three to 5,000 years to get to that point. And then what is actually more disconcerting about this whole situation is that it took about 170,000 years to recover from that time. So when we're putting this into perspective with today, we are creating the same situation in about 100 or 200 years. And we're actually doing the same thing that happened at that time 10 times faster than it happened. And so if we look back at the ecosystem changes at that time, then we can probably project that we will see much larger ecosystem changes in the future. I would like you to take these last minutes to talk to me about something that um, I haven't yet asked, something that you came here thinking you really wanted people to know. I actually get to travel around the world and meet really wonderful, amazing people, but also get to see wonderful places. 
through this work, I've also met some wonderful colleagues from Australia. And three years ago, I went on my first sabbatical, and we started that sabbatical on One Tree Island, which is a tiny little island that is just on the southern tip of the Great Barrier Reef. And it's an island that takes two days to get to. First of all, you have to go to Heron Island, and then from there you have to wait until the tide is just right that you can actually take a tiny little boat to get to, to One Tree Island. And One Tree Island is a place that nobody can actually go to other than scientists. And scientists are only allowed to go if they actually have a project. So you can't just go there and, 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 and check it out. But it's a, it's, a, it's a very special place. At the time when we were there, we were three scientists and two housekeepers and about 10,000 birds. They were very, very loud. But the most, the most wonderful thing of this entire trip was, so I, I, I only was allowed to go there because my colleague at the time with whom I was doing a sabbatical, he actually had a project working on that island and we had to drill some, some cores into the reef. But we also had plenty of time to move around and walk around the island. The island is very, very small. It has some trees on it, but you can walk around it in 20 minutes. But we were told that the nicest diving and snorkeling, we didn't have any dive gear there, was uh, beyond the reef crest. And so you basically have to walk out on the reef and then they're, then they're, it's, it's really on top of the reef and that's where the waves are breaking. So you have to kind of duck underneath the waves and then, and then when the next wave comes, you duck underneath again. And uh, so it's a bit, it's, it's actually a little bit scary to get out there because you know, if the wave hits you and if you don't do the right thing, then it really smashes you into the reef. But once you're out there, it's just the most amazing reef that I've ever seen in my entire life. It was just a highway of turtles going in and out, and there were so many different organisms. And, and so this is just, this was, when, when I saw that, I thought, okay, I think I'm ready to die now, because it would be okay if I die, because this is just such, such a wonderful thing to see. And so um, I really enjoy that experience, and that's something that I definitely would have never been able to do if I hadn't been working in science. I'm trained as a herpetologist, meaning that I studied amphibians and reptiles, um, but I'm not talking about sea turtles that live in these picturesque settings adjacent to beautiful reefs. I'm talking about things that live in swamps and bogs, really stinky and gross places. So I'm super jealous of Varbo and want to thank her for sharing her story with us. Thanks also to Elise Burnham for conducting this interview. If you've liked what you've heard, stay tuned for more episodes tucked in amongst your regular third pod episodes. For this scientist in a studio, to all of you out there in the world, thanks for listening to our stories.